0: So welcome to this week's episode of Crap No One Tells You. And with me today I have an architect, Kevin Smith from Stanford and Associates. Hello everybody. Welcome. So um let's not wait around. Let's just get right into it. <laughs> That's their style, Gummy. Go so for it. <laughs> what is uh what is some crap no one tells you about being or becoming an architect?
1: When I was in school, I can remember first day of orientation. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, um, if you're here to make money, you're in the wrong place. (laughs) If you're here thinking you're going to be Mike Brady or something, because, you know, older Brady bunch, and you're going to be able to support eight kids, you're in the wrong place. Um, You should be here if you're passionate and you love what you do. If you're lucky, the person to the right of you and the person to the left of you will be gone five years from now, and you'll be the only one left. Wow. And he was right. That was the dean of our school. Um, That was 1988. And uh, and it was like 20% graduation. It was brutal. Uh, People wanted to be the best. They stayed up for hours just to have the best drawings, three, four days in a row. The competition and mentally was just. One day we had school. Five days a week, 9 a.m. to 12. You get in there, professor talks for two hours, 55 minutes. Your assignment is due the next day. He gives it to you in the last five minutes of class. So, Gummy, I want you to describe your personality to 12 facets. I want you to have what's called a party sketch, uh, an idea, concept Mm -hmm. idea. And it's due the next day. You just haven't come in your lab. You don't have any materials. So everybody goes to the bookstore, buys stuff. We stay up all night just to basically be the best. And this guy, Joe Burden, he studied under Louis Kahn, which is a real famous architect. And he rips you to shreds for two hours, 55 minutes, redo things. But you could already see the genius in some kids. Later in the semester, you could see the, the sketches that they created. That was the uh, column detail that they used for this room. Or this was the threshold detail they used for that part. I found myself like overwhelmed with the uh, the amount of like thought that went into things. So what you don't know is some of it's we call talk It's very intellectual. Uh, it's not the real world, but in design, there's a lot. Like if you ever study a snowflake and it's unique to God, Snowflake has no designs replicated. Our profession is very serious. Shouldn't take it that way, but it could some people can take it very seriously. I don't know if you ever met an architect in real life to no.
0: yeah, I, I, you know. Yeah, size me. I I know I know a couple. I know one lady that was obsessed with towers. She added towers to every building she. <laughs> and I always asked her why, and she's like, "Because I think they're regal." And I'm like, "Okay, I guess whatever floats your boat." But I don't think most people in general have like a full understanding of what an architect does, right? Like we all see the Sydney Opera House and all these things and the famous architects and these like crazy buildings around the world. And people are like, oh, that's what architects do. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure your architect designs your extra room that you want to add to your house.
1: Architects like, design anything in the built environment that needs to be regulated by the building codes. Uh, so, you know, yeah, uh, an opera house like Sydney Opera House that's governed by it. Very detailed building codes. Uh, But, you know, a house. You don't need an architect to do a house. You can, as a person, basically use the building code and use the tables in the building code and go as owner builder. But usually an architect's needed when a public occupancy is is needed, where the general public visits a building and health and safety and welfare comes into play. Fires, big problem. Lawsuits, uh, wind damage, uh, earthquakes, any kind of problem where somebody could be hurt and the building has to be insured is governed by the building codes and that's when you need an architect you need a design professional Uh, under the building codes engineers can design a lot of buildings Mm -hmm. and architects can do a lot of things that structural engineers and civil engineers can do there's some overlap in the professions but like typically an architect doesn't do a bridge but sometimes a civil engineer will dabble and do a building so it's it's kind of back and forth but we have uniform building codes now across the 50 states, but some states have seceded from that and have their own codes. I just read on license in Florida. Um, Florida is now completely seceding from the building codes that are governed in both states uh their next code cycle, which is going to be very interesting.
0: So are they going stricter or are they going Oh, closer? much stricter. Okay.
1: Uh, they're testing right now for what we call a Category 6 hurricane, which doesn't exist. They're testing for... 190 to 210 mile an hour sustained winds right now. That's insane. Yeah. That's completely climate change. That's (laughs) where things are going. Uh, right now we're doing a house in the keys for the office and that's Miami Dade that's 155 to 165 sustained winds that you have to design for it. You have what's called a missile impact test where they shoot a two by four or two by six at that velocity at a wall, and it has to be able to sustain it at, at withstand that impact without being damaged. Most people build down there with concrete, you know, masonry or concrete. It's the only structure that's really going to sustain that. But with climate change now, we're going to go and we're going to start seeing Category 6 hurricanes. And the, our industry is already starting to prepare for that. And that's one of the reasons why Florida, I think, is moving away from the model codes and doing their own thing. Because, let face it, it's all insurance. And mm-hmm. It's all lawyers. That's what drives our society. <laughs> insurance companies and companies.
0: Yeah. If the underwriters
1: so, wanted it sure.
0: So architects, uh, once again, goes to show how little people know about that profession in general, I think, is I don't think people understand that architects, an architect's job is partially to look into the future and figure out what could possibly go wrong in this area and then design a house accordingly. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: Yeah. You have to look at building types. You know, it's not just housing. It's, for example... There are a lot of people right now in the senior living industry are skittish that that industry as a whole might collapse or might have an is- issue because when COVID started, if you remember, the start of that pandemic in this country anyway, I think was in the Seattle area or the Washington state. It spread through nursing homes.
0: Yeah, that was the and,
1: and and now the new codes that are they're coming out are going to be making those kind of building types have mechanical systems that are almost like clean room level because people want to feel safe. And if they don't have the mechanical system with the ventilation that can treat airborne illnesses, you're not going to get people to sign up for those places. Consequently, you're also not going to get workers that feel safe in that environment. So the pandemic has changed a lot.
0: So you guys are really dealing with a whole new type of approaching a lot of these designs and concepts just because of what happened during COVID.
1: A lot of things. In the housing industry, for example, I think you're going to start seeing maybe the death of the office complex. A lot of people don't necessarily want to work in an office anymore. They like the flexibility of working from home. Couples want maybe flexible work-live arrangements where they can have his, her offices, or three offices, one for the kids, one for him, one for her, instead of just one study in the home, because you're conducting more and more business from the home. It's interesting to see uh, my daughter. She told me about one of the uh, consequences of the first pandemic. I don't know if you remember the Spanish American flu. Yeah. The women's suffrage movement. That was benefited by that, if you're aware of that. So many white men died in the pandemic that were opposed to women voting, that there was enough that died that helped pass that. We're just now starting to see trends from this pandemic that are going to affect us. And we start seeing that as architects up front in changes, the way people live and what they want out of their designs and what they want for their lives.
0: Because you guys are looking at the next generation of houses being built right now. So like the stuff we haven't seen yet as consumers, you guys are conceptually designing right now for the people that are looking to build in the future.
1: Correct. And we're starting to see trends. And a lot of trends are people are enamored more with staying home and feeling safe and wanting to basically quality of life. Maybe the younger generation's idea of being happy isn't going to it right nine to five and... and being in a little cubicle <laughs> and going out just at
0: having a boss yell at you
1: all the yeah, time it, yeah, it, yeah it I know. mean, you're has to be flexible you know with the internet and with uh, communication the way it is as long as they hit deadlines if they get something done right and they want to go out to the beach during the day and the company allows them to do that a whole different way of life
0: so um i know you guys do both commercial and residential right what are some, if you had to tell me about like a cool project you did recently, what would be an example of what you do? Like, what's a project? Like, what does it entail?
1: So, just finished a project that won an award. I think I mentioned that at the, the meeting for uh, Rob Lowry of uh, the Dublin. And his vision was to kind of take the center of Dublin Borough and create a walkable community. So he sold the back half of it to Ryan Homes and they built a bunch of townhomes. And then there were some out parcels. Uh, He has a brick building that was live work. Um, it's a lot of offices in there. We were hired to do an outpatient medical facility for Redview Health. And we were also retained to do an apartment building over retail. So what I like about that project is you're kind of creating a little city where people can work and live and buy things and they don't need a car. Yeah, you, know, you still need a car. Yeah, yeah, but... but yeah, you know, I like little villages where you don't have to go a very far way to get your...
0: So they're almost becoming like little communes. Like that's that's the trend right now is... Are you guys seeing more of those?
1: Yeah, if you just look at what's happened around King of Prussia, you know, it, it doesn't... We're starting to see that uh, younger folks aren't as interested yet in the suburbs. Right. Their quality of life is... And they
0: don't necessarily want to go into the cities. So you're looking at these areas that are 15, 20 minutes outside of the cities where you have these self-contained... Correct. ...environments. Old villages. Right.
1: You know, they're looking for entertainment. They're looking for dining out. They're looking for um, a grocery store right in that general area in a little walkable community. So I think you're going to see more redevelopment or urban infill. uh, The challenge of that is just getting enough parcels so you can create that in enough, you know, space. Um, You're starting to see that because urban sprawl hasn't hurt us uh, or hasn't helped us as a society. You know, people are disconnected. And I think if people can walk and have a sense of community, have a sense of place, and they feel identity, I think that they're going to feel more proud about their
0: community. So when that landowner came to you and said, hey, I have this project. I want you to build this community, right? What is involved in that process from your guys' end? Do you guys have to go out and measure the land and then figure out the layout and like we're, design the buildings, design and everything? With, up? Uh, uh, a group of professionals,
1: civil engineer, Gilmore Associates was already involved in that property. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a phase of approvals called entitlements that on a project like that sometimes could take anywhere from five years to 10 years where you got to bring the land in. You got to go through the borough. Uh, you got to get approvals. The zoning, zoning change had to happen uh, because 313 is a public road and mm-hmm. it's governed by the state. You have to interface with PennDOT. There's a lot of regulations. These things normally are handled by land use, land use attorneys and civil engineers. The architect's involved, but more along the lines of once the, once the site is entitled and we know what we're dealing with in terms of footprint. Then we can start designing the building
0: so you basically get it from someone like a civil engineer that says here's the footprint you're allowed to use for the buildings and then the landowner will say here's the requirements that i'm looking for and then you guys have to marry all of that into yeah and what so we see as a it's
1: a little more complicated and that that's kind of the genesis there's <clears throat> what's called for every municipality in pennsylvania is called a saldo uh a zoning ordinance okay and it, usually that zoning ordinance breaks Portions of a municipality or a borough or a township down into districts. And inside
0: those districts, there's... Do most states have that? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. Um, it'll tell you what your coverage is, what your square footage is, your footprint, what your height limit is. There will be bulk restrictions, density restrictions, all sorts of restrictions that you as an architect have to take into account. The owner may give you a program. In this case, they said I wanted as many units as I get, but uh, well, it makes up two bedrooms and one bedroom. We had on this particular site an environmental contamination line, which was an angle, was really strange. And uh, there was some uh, contaminated soil that the owner did not want to remediate and take out. So we had to design the building around that uh, angle and it, it created a more, an interesting facade, but the building had steps and it was just a straight rectangle because we could not go over that. So I had to interface with the civil engineer to make sure that the wall of the building and the cladding of the building couldn't go over it, but the overhang of the roof could go over it. So there was all sorts of things. It, it was kind of stupid because you're digging a big hole in the ground anyway to do the foundation. You're disturbing right the ground anyway. But this was a rule, and it was governed by environmental rules in, in Harrisburg, and so people, we had to adhere to hear that.
0: So really, you are basically creating just within a bunch of rules? And then you get to put personal design touches on what, like the outside, the inside, the...
1: All, all of it. It's, it's a synthesis of a lot of things. What's the program of the owner? Right. What are the needs of the marketplace based on what the owner's telling you? <clears throat> Is he realistic or she realistic about what they're looking for? <clears throat> what are the parameters of the cost of the debt? And this project hit <clears throat> we're in the middle of COVID. Now, yes, <laughs> supply chain issues. Right. We started with some things that might have been a little more grandiose. We had to pull back and do value engineering. Then, fortunately, the contractor in this uh, project, Penn Valley, they, they bought a lot of the products that co- we call commodities up front. They could store them. They weren't hit with other projects in the area where they were delayed for right. weeks and months because they couldn't get cabinets or they couldn't get windows. Right. They could, couldn't they, get they, garage
0: stores. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't get like. Yeah, And then when you finally could get it, there was a 300% price increase, right? Yeah. And and then this building for a small building, it was like 56,000 square feet, not
1: huge. Uh, It had almost all the different building construction types. No, No, it had slab on grain foundation system. It had structural steel, poured in place concrete. Uh, It had wood framing. It had metal stud framing. It had concrete unit masonry, concrete block. The only thing it really didn't have was post-tension and pre-stressed concrete. So you had a lot of different building assemblies, and then because it was a mixed occupancy, you had retail on the ground floor, parking garage, and then uh, residential up above. You have fire uh, uh, suppression systems and different types of fire suppression systems, and different fire assemblies to protect each one of those occupancies. So that's <clears throat> excuse me, I'm <clears throat> voice here. Talk. I find um, mixed-use buildings are complex, but I find them to be. The best use of an architect is because you have to know your code.
0: Right. So really, this is where you said there's a lot of overlap. And this is where my sense of architect versus engineer starts getting muddled, right? Is I was always under the assumption that you guys do the stuff we see and the engineer does the stuff you don't. Does that make sense? Like architects do the... What I see, the outside, the inside, the walls, the room layout, but then it's the engineer's job to make sure that it's structurally sound or figure out what materials are needed to support it. And A
1: little bit. We're kind of the, we manage the process. We do all what you said, but we also manage the process. So for example, under our contract, I hired the structural engineer. I hired the mechanical engineer, the electrical engineer, plumbing engineer, fire suppression engineer. So... I may come up with the drawings and the concept, the base drawings, but in our business, change management is huge. Just like I'm sure in your business, Mm -hmm. things change. You find out different things. Uh, People want to move this wall. We have to do this and that. So we have to edit our model, our Revit model, and then issue it out to each one of the consoles.
0: So, So, So you guys really create, let's call it the rough draft or the first draft of what you would like it to be. And then everybody gets a chance at nitpicking at it or... Kind of figuring out this could be better this way. This will need this for this reason, but you guys are still the top of the pyramid, so to speak. Is that everything funnels up to you guys, and you have to make changes on your draft based on recommendations from all the engineers, from the electrician. I mean, yeah, all of those people, all the consultants. And
1: you know, on this project, we had review of submittals, um, construction administration. It's a more complicated project, so. We had issues during construction. No project's perfect. No set of drawings is perfect. So you have changes that go on. You know, we had trusses. uh, One truss manufacturer built. And it cost the contractor a lot of money to substitute another. And because of that truss manufacturer, we had to redesign a roof. We had to redesign stair towers. We had to trace point loads differently because their systems were a little different. And they wanted it designed a little different. So we had the building already permitted. Now we had to go backwards to go forwards. To change
0: things. So here's here's what I'm hearing. <clears throat> if you want to be an architect because you think it's about making buildings look pretty, you're wrong. Only, that's <laughs> only part of the R- Right. Yeah. That that is that's what you'll be doing a small portion of the time. The rest of the time you're you're dealing with project management like you're you sounds like you're more of a project manager than actually well
1: that's 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 my role in a company
0: right we're we're a
1: a mid-sized small to mid-sized firm if you work for a larger firm in center city you may just be a designer and that's all you do is draw pretty pictures all day long because you have a skill set you've been hired to do that and you enjoy doing that other people may just do stair details other people may do elevator details so so some people and larger projects that i worked on for bigger firms There's thousands of drawings in a project, convention center, Philadelphia convention center, or a high-res building. You need a team. You know, our office is only 12 to 14 people. We get to wear a lot of hats. My role, i manage a huge chunk of the office, contracts. Yeah, I do design still. I have the overall view, but I'm having somebody doing the renderings. I'm having somebody do the drawings, and I'm reviewing what they're doing, giving them input. Do I still draw? Yeah, but I don't draw as much. As I used to, because, you know, my seals on the drawings and I have to be responsible for all the other crap that right. know, doesn't get done.
0: So there are still positions out there for architects that are strictly design. Correct. They're just few and far between. It sounds like, or you have uh, to two, be with,
1: it's about two to 3% of the industry is strictly just design. design. Yeah.
0: So you need to be in the top 2% of designers, architects. If you, if you go into school thinking you're going to be a designer.
1: You probably have, unless you're really, really good, you would probably have a, not the most realistic sense of what you're going to be doing.
0: Right. That is kind of interesting because I, um, I remember I was out in California. Um, and I was at a, um, I was at a convention, but they brought in for that specific meeting someone that does 3D renderings of commercial buildings. So one, I remember one of the ones they showed was they were redesigning some office building for Boeing. And they literally pull up on the screen, this three-dimensional look, like it felt like you were at the office. And it was just fascinating to me because now all of a sudden you had the architects you had the computer designers, you had the 3D modelers, you had the, and you, you realistically could almost do a full walkthrough of the building before they had done anything, like it felt like you were in the building. Do you think that is something that's going to be coming more to your industry? Like, is it, but to- it, it, already,
1: it already is here. It's big, the bigger firms and the larger firms had that. Um, yeah. one of the firms I worked for before where I'm at now, we actually we had a test project, and it was $50,000, and this was 2014, 15, okay. so God knows what it is now, where you wear the, the goggles, yep. the virtual reality yep. goggles, and it, it views the retina in your eye. So this was a project that we were working on in uh, Lansdale, it was a TOD transit-oriented development, six-story apartment building near the train station, and uh, you could use your eyes and look through and pick the color of your cabinets. Pick the color of the floor. It felt like when you were walking around, if you were out in the balcony and there was a pool below you, four stories below, like you felt like you actually were in. Oh, so it, I've seen that technology. It's great. It's just very expensive. Yeah, and for most building owners, they probably won't pay for that. Um, large-scale projects, projects that are controversial, or projects that have to go through years of approvals, then it makes sense. For the average project now, until that technology is more affordable, you probably won't see it on the mainstream. But it's there, and it's it's being used. And it's when you see master plans for new communities, um, there's a whole new project, I guess, down in uh, Morrisville or uh, Philadelphia mm-hmm. area where they're going to do like a brownfield development. I'm sure they're going to use something like that for.
0: It. Yeah, it's it's just it's interesting to see how. How far along, like every everything else, technology has made made so many things an option when it comes to um, reviewing things that, that are being designed before they're built. Because, you know, we always say when you're managing a project, when you're doing something, it's always easier to change the paper than to change the project.
1: Now, right? change the computer. Change <laughs> right. It. I so, thought by now we'd be in holograms. I really thought technology would be moving faster. Well, in my lifetime, I thought by now I'd be able to slice through your head and you'd be, you know, in Australia somewhere. <laughs> right. And you'd have hold you. We're not there yet, but I think someday we will get there where you wouldn't be able to see, you know, when, look at what the, the phone's done in terms right. of, you know, I have people that basically go out and survey on phones, you know, or their little, little uh, not their laptop, but their, their app iPads. Yeah, and they yeah. survey you know, instead of the old-fashioned days, which I still use the tape measure and the right. old-fashioned and,
0: and the wheel with the... the wheel,
1: you know, <laughs> right. So um, you've seen a lot of change. And what I like about this industry is you never stop. There's always something new. It can be overwhelming because there's always new laws. There's always new codes. Yeah. but there's new building technologies and there's new ways to do things. And that is always changing, and it's cool.
0: So if someone listening is thinking about... Uh becoming an architect, they got all excited by, by this conversation. Um, what would be one piece of advice you would give someone that's looking at getting into architecture today?
1: Visit construction sites, see how things are built. Unfortunately, our industry does not do enough of a good job in school of teaching young students how things are built. you will become more marketable and more valuable to a firm. If you learn or spend some time working on a construction crew, working from a framer, just understanding how things go together. Just go up to any old job site that you see where things are being built. Say you want to be an architect and just spend some time talking about how you knew that a,
0: get a summer job as a framer yeah, or,
1: or because people that do that are valuable because so many people see it as lines on a drawing. They don't understand that people use the tools, the instruments that we create to build things. And they understand the consequences that if you mess up, and the concrete is in the f- in the ground, and it's in the wrong spot, right, costs a lot of money
0: to jackhammer concrete. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much. And uh, we will bring you back, pro- possibly, to talk some more about uh, project management when it comes to uh, when it comes to construction sites. Oops. But um, so, thanks everyone for tuning in, and we will be. We will be back next week with another episode. Please make sure to visit our sponsor, rednight.com. They help small businesses with their marketing and become awesome brands that are built for success.